This podcast is brought to you by AJ Bell and Shares Magazine. Shares Magazine is published by AJ Bell Media, part of AJ Bell. Hello, I'm Tom Sieber, Deputy Editor at Shares Magazine, and welcome to the first in a new series of podcasts from Shares. This is a bonus pod that will sit alongside the regular AJ Bell Money and Markets podcast, which can be found on all good podcasting platforms. We're going to be taking an in-depth look at some of the most interesting stories on the stock market. And we're kicking off with Vodafone. To say that Vodafone is a sleeping giant on the UK market probably doesn't do it justice. It's been borderline comatose for some time. And joining me to discuss if Vodafone's new boss can wake the business up is Shares News Editor and Tech and Telecom Specialist, Steve Fraser. Welcome, Steve. Hello, everyone. And we're also joined by Shares Education Editor, Martin Gamble, who will be talking later on about a US fast food stock, which is on a very different trajectory to Vodafone. Hi, everyone. When it comes to Vodafone, you, you kind of look at it perhaps without um, going into any depth and it's it's offering a 9% yield and, and people might consider that attractive. But if you look at a long-term chart of Vodafone, it paints a pretty depressing picture for shareholders. In fact, if you look at an annual annualized total return, so that's kind of the return smoothed out um, over 10 years and including dividends, Vodafone would have lost an investor more than 2% a year. And that's one of the worst performing FTSE 100 stocks on that measure. Um, things seem to reach um, a real peak in terms of you know the negative sentiment towards Vodafone with its latest results and strategy update. And one analyst from Numis, John Caridis, reacted to this update by describing the company as becoming uninvestable. Um, Steve, do you want to expand a little bit on on his arguments there and, and how that you know relates perhaps to the, the wider story around Vodafone? Yeah, thanks, Tom. Uh, I mean, it's quite an interesting way of, of putting it, isn't it, for an analyst to to, to almost say it's uninvestable. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely about um, total return, and that's that's really how investors need to think about shares that pay dividends is, is think about the dividend and the capital growth. And and I've looked at Vodafone for, for a long time. I followed it and it's becoming almost a, a kind of a comedy annuity play. You know, you, you, you kind of invest capital and turn it into, into income. Um, so a 9% yield may, may seem um, very generous. And I'm sure lots of income seekers are in that in the stock because of that. But when you've seen the share price just decline and decline and decline um, for, for for five years, six years, uh, I, I mean that it's real value destruction. Um, you could have uh, a FTSE 100 ETF, you know, paid a, a very low cost and got something like about five and a half percent returns. Um, so I mean, the big concern for for Numis is that um, the, the new CEO uh, Margarita Della Valle. Um, is actually not going to be the new broom that she was hoped to be. Um, she swept in recently with with these stinging criticisms of the company and its past performance, um, saying things are simply not good enough. Um, but when it comes down to it, the big concern is she's been a Vodafone employee for many, many years. Um, we're talking two decades. Yeah, nearly 30 years, I think, it goes back. Yeah. Yeah. Just have to wonder about is she part of the culture or is she someone that's going to bring cultural change? And and I think that's really the nub of of the issue here is is it needs a cultural change and and there are lots of doubts that Delhi Valley is going to bring that. 
Yeah, no, that's a that's a really good point. I mean, Germany has been a particular sort of sticking point, and there there've been particular failures um, on Vodafone's part in in that market, haven't there? Kind of more recently. Yeah, I mean, Germany for for, for a number of years was its real sparkling child. It, it it was doing really well, and ironically, the UK was pretty miserable by comparison. And those roles have completely reversed in recent periods. Um, but that's not to say the UK has done particularly well at all. It's just not done as poorly as Germany. And, and there's definitely a sense that um, much of that performance is not uh, driven so much by the wider telecom industry, but it's really driven by uh, poor execution from Vodafone senior management. And I think that, again, cuts, cuts to the chase is, is you know, are you, are you just getting with Della Valley just more of the same? Um, so it, it, you can see why investors might be pretty sceptical that um, the, the prospects for the next couple of years are going to be any different to what they've been recently. So this isn't really, you know, a business that's struggling with kind of structural change in its industry, although that might be a factor. It is, a lot of it is to do with kind of, um, you know, internal mistakes and kind of, you know, problems of their own making as much as anything else. Yeah, poor choices. But I mean, let's bear in mind that this is a very commoditized industry. I mean, if you think about in the UK at the moment, there are four major network providers, 302, EE and Vodafone. Um, at the end of the day, there's very limited customer loyalty in any of that. So when it comes to inflationary hikes, as we've all experienced over the last 12, 15 months or so, um, and prices go up or they want to put prices up, of course, I'm, you know, you as a consumer just going to go looking for a cheaper deal elsewhere. Um, it's really easy to switch from network to network now, keep your same number. Um, it's done within 30 days. Um, it's it's very easy to switch. So the idea of passing on higher cost to consumers is really, really limited. And that, of course, affects the entire mobile phone industry. Um, and it's not, that's not a, a, a Vodafone issue. That is an industry but they have definitely executed very poorly. There's obviously been a lot of chatter about a merger between Vodafone and Three. I mean, what what do you think that might do for the business and, and why is it sort of, you know, pursuing that as uh, as a possible kind of... Well, it's really about scale. I mean, yeah. Vodafone was for a long time the largest UK mobile network operator. And then when BT merged with everything everywhere at the time, it was called now EE, uh, it became the UK's number one. Uh, since then, the O2 network has emerged with certain virgin assets. So you've got E and O2 have become the number one and number two players in the UK, certainly. Um, and and so that's limiting Vodafone's ability in terms of scale. Um, so it wants to it wants to cozy up with with three. Um, it's been a big no no for regulators for a long time. They they were very very reluctant to go from four major networks are three, um, but there's been lots of campaigning about if mobile networks are going to invest in the infrastructure, 5G and and that kind of thing, um, they need to have a free reign to to make M&A, to do M&A. And, and so the regulator seems to have softened its stance to some degree, but this three deal was announced over a year ago and we still are in red tape hell. No one actually knows whether... Um, Ofcom or the CMA will actually give its blessing. So um, it's very much up in the air about whether the dip comes off at all. 
I mean, is there an argument as well that Vodafone's already trying to do too much, that it's too, it's a kind of confused business that's, that's trying to do lots and lots of things everywhere. And that's, that's part of, you know, the problem. There is definitely um, a, a broad spread of operations geographically where you might wonder if it needs a bit of streamlining. Uh, they have businesses in South Africa, businesses in India, uh, and, and they're, they're over a major markets in, in Europe, uh, Germany, uh, Spain, and Italy. Um, so streamlining some of those operations might make sense, and it might lighten the balance sheet debt, which obviously is a big issue for for shareholders because you know that's cash flow that goes to um, a lender rather than cash flow that comes to them in terms of dividends. Yeah, I mean that was quite a striking element of the latest results. Was the guidance on cash flow was pretty negative, wasn't it? Or free cash flow certainly the amount of cash flow that's left over to to fund the dividends um, and invest in the business. And yeah, and and this is you know this is part of the course. I mean, if you think about the model of a mobile network. And they had to spend billions and billions of dollars um, or pounds in, in buying spectrum. So, you know, it's radio waves that, that will carry new signals. And um, they then try to, to utilize those networks to get customers on board um, to monetize it over, uh, over many, many years. Um, but it always means that they end up carrying a huge amount of debt on their balance sheet. Yeah. Absolutely. And I mean, you know, we talked about the dividend yields earlier, but there's been basically zero dividend growth for a number of years from Vodafone, hasn't there? So, you know, and I guess the prospects don't look too promising if you've got a, a situation where free cash flow is is shrinking. Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, and bear in mind, Tom, that um, I think about two, three years ago that there was actually a dividend cut. Um, I think at the moment that the the cash flow metrics suggest that their dividend currently is not necessarily at risk. But it might depend on how much money they need to spend in order to address the fundamental issues that we hinted at earlier. Um, so it might be that the cash flow cover starts getting skinnier. And when that happens, of course, that puts you know, future dividends at greater risk. Absolutely. So I see if you think one of the levers that management can pull is to make some more asset sales in Central Europe and generate more cash to pay down that debt and then get them on the right side of the cash flow? Yeah, it's a good question, Martin. And, and it's certainly um, something that analysts have been speculating. Um, again, the operating companies in Spain and Italy in particular have been seen as, as potential on the block uh, operations. Um, and we know that um, their Italian business has been uh, courted by uh, an Italian telecom called Iliad. Um, but whether that comes to fruition and at what price, um, all of that remains very much up in the air. Is there a risk that if they sell those businesses, the dilution from the lost earnings is 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 part of the equation as well? Uh, possibly. Um, it's you know it's it's so it's speculative. How much value will this really raise for them in terms of cash, as opposed to lost potential earnings down the line? But what we do know is the Spanish and Italian operations haven't been performing very well at all. So you might argue that get some cash and get rid of an asset that's underperforming makes a lot more sense. And, and there's been some M&A in the other direction, hasn't there? I think Telecom, um, Emirates Telecoms building a stake currently has just under 15% of the shares. What do you think the intention is there? And is that good news for shareholders or potentially bad news? Yeah, I mean, you've got to see it as, as potentially good news, I suppose. Most investors or shareholders in Vodafone are going to be 
uh, really excited about the idea that that, that the cash-rich Middle Eastern telecom companies come in and go, oh, hello, I'm, I'm going to take a, a nice stake in Vodafone and maybe escalate it over time and maybe I'll, I'll end up buying it. Uh, much like we've seen some of the football clubs uh, over recent times. Yeah. The, the reality is, that, I mean, Emirates Telecom have uh, a stake that's now 14.6% of, of Vodafone. Um, and and that's obviously um, increased excitement that the M&A could be on the agenda. But it seems very much to me that this is a strategic stake. And, and what I mean by that is it's a, a stake where they want to gain some kind of influence um, and, and it might it might be a soft inference. It might simply be a case of having assets outside of their own market um, in a developed world market um, rather than come in with a massive cash bid and, and to, to buy Vodafone outright. So I th- I'm, I'm suspecting that any excitement in terms of Vodafone as a takeover target is probably misplaced. Yeah, and I mean, it is worth considering what it might mean for kind of other shareholders if E ampersand or you know have Emirates Telecom does you know get to a point where perhaps it's it's got representation on the boards you know it, it, there are question marks there about the influence then it has over over the company and its management yeah I mean you'd expect I mean if I have a 14.6 percent stage yeah. in a company I'd, I'd maybe want to have a say in in, in how the business was, yeah, was absolutely yeah you um, can totally see I, that. I mean that that potentially comes with with other political issues um so whether that happens uh, yeah they might get a seat on the board how much influence that will really yeah, dictate um to uh, senior management we can only speculate that um but yeah i would have, i would have thought emirates would be looking for some kind of representation yeah absolutely um i mean one of the things i think that came out from um the new miss note that we mentioned earlier and, and that analyst observations was that ironically for a telecommunications company the communications around this latest strategy update were pretty horrible you know they they didn't afford analysts very much time to sort of talk them through it there wasn't a lot of specificity in terms of what they're trying to achieve and i guess that's something where you know i mean you know you want tangible action as well but they need to communicate what they're doing better to the market don't they like that that's definitely something that Vodafone needs to work on I mean that's that's certainly some of the feedback from some analysts I think we have to bear in mind that um you know not all analysts analysts are going to feel the same and, no, and sure. you know they're, 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 there are probably 40 or 50 different analysts uh who will end up looking at a company like Vodafone yeah uh, but I think it it does cut to the chase about you know maybe Margarita Benavoli uh has has not necessarily got a clear idea of what she wants to do yet i mean she was only um appointed permanently within a, you know, a few weeks ago yeah. so it's possible that she's going through a, a process of assessment um and and these these half year results came at a bit of an unfortunate time for her so maybe her answers are not uh, solutions are not quite ready yet um but certainly you'd expect analysts to be getting a, a reasonable amount of feedback and, and direct conversation with um, with her, certainly in the future. So kind of to sum things up a little bit, I wonder how much time she's got, like how much patience is she like to be afforded by the market, given how poor Vodafone's track record has been, you know, and the fact that perhaps she's not off to a brilliant start. Do you think she will be given a bit of time or do you think she's going to be under kind of pressure pretty much from the get-go? Well, I, to, to to use my football analogy again, Tom. I, I mean, I, you know, how long's a piece of string? I think yeah. almost people want immediate um, results, and and I don't think time is something that 
uh, a CEO of a FTSE 100 company um, is going to be afforded, especially when the performance in recent years has been so dismal. Um, so, you know, let's not put any time frames on it exactly. But I think the average lifespan of a Premier League football manager is now about 18 months. It wouldn't surprise me if CEOs in FTSE 100 companies are running along similar lines. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm thinking you'd want her to come to the market with a very clear strategy about this is how I'm going to change the prospects of Vodafone um, this year. If she doesn't do that this year, I think already the chairs will start maneuvering about <laughs> trying to get her in. Yeah, it's not it's not a happy story, fair to say. Um, I think, you know, to cheer everybody up a little bit, it might be nice to hear about a company that's doing rather better than Vodafone has been doing both kind of more recently and over the kind of longer term. So, Martin, you're here in part to tell us about um, a fast food company, US fast food company that's on a very, very different trajectory to to um, Vodafone. Yes, that's right. Um, but before I come to that, I mean, the, how it came about was that I was doing some research for a feature on the fast food sector and the US companies dominate that sector. There are a few UK such as Greg's, um, but most of them are in the US and they have global businesses. And I was just astonished, you know, given where the sentiment is in markets generally. The companies like McDonald's were up 21% over last year. Um, Yum Brands, which owns Taco Bell, KFC, um, that's up 25%. The Burger King owner, Restaurant Brands International, is up 43%. But the winner in that is actually Wingstop, which is a wing company and that's up 150 percent over the last year yeah that's uh, stunning isn't it yeah. so i was just that just really stood out for me you know these companies are trading at close to all-time highs yeah. and the market sentiment is so poor so i started digging around a little bit yeah but young brands is definitely going places i think and what i really like about it is its exposure to china but also it's it's not just one genre of fast food they've got pizza hut that covers pizza They've got Taco Bell, that covers the Mexican theme. And they've got KFC, which covers chicken. Um, so that, and, you know, the exposure to China is quite significant. It's their second largest market. And for KFC, it's their largest market. So as China supposedly opens post its zero COVID policy, um, there's a lot of potential for the domestic economy within China to, to sort of boom. And some of the results that they saw in the first quarter was, was starting to point in that direction sales up 17 percent for kfc in in the first quarter is so, there yeah. a danger they're a bit of a kind of jack of all trades master of none i mean probably not because particularly with kfc that is you know that's the leading brand in that that kind of food segment or however you want to characterize it isn't it yeah i think that was my impression when you first look at it you think they're trying to do too many things then how can that have any kind of traction with customers and where's the brand loyalty but when you look at some of the long-term numbers they put up it shows there is customer loyalty to those various brands. And because, you know, if, if if burgers go out of fashion or chicken goes out of fashion, they've got other brands which sit in the same space. So it's affordable food. They've been able to put through price increases because people are still coming through the door because it's still relatively value. Um, and in fact, even though I think the Wingstop, uh, Chip Chipotle is another one. And the CEO there was saying that he believes they've shown, you know, pricing power, which for a restaurant, brand is quite astonishing when you think about it. I wonder well, Martin, about if there's, um, I remember writing a piece a while ago about McDonald's, which is kind of, I suppose, one of the kings of this space. I mean, they were talking an awful lot about um, 
about the self-service terminals that we are starting to see in, in McDonald's restaurants these days and also curbside delivery and so on. So uh, it seems to me that when I look at uh, the average KFC, for example, uh, there's, there's a lot of levers in terms of the technology they could pull to um, to, to increase their margins uh, that McDonald's have led the way with. Yeah, no, that's, that's a very good point. And that's another reason I think Young Brand stands out because around 45 of its sales come through the digital channel. And so they've made big, big strides in addressing that and making, you know, making it a more attractive brand for lots of different ways of serving its customers. And in fact, talking of technology and the flavor of the day, which is AI, uh, Wendy's announced recently that they're going to introduce AI into, into their drive-through service. So the idea is that the machine, the AI, will be able to have a conversation with you, very limited, I, I think, about what you want to order. And um, so that that'll be interesting to see when it comes to fruition. Will it, will it be able to actually pick a meal for you? That'd be interesting. <laughs> uh, I'm really not sure what I want. Just yeah, pick it for me, and I'll see. <laughs> well, so I'm curious, Martin. I mean, what's what's the um, what's the share price done over recent times? And I, I'm not really familiar with Young Brands. Um, it's delivered um, pretty strong over the sort of ten years. It's delivered something like 17% annual or compound annual return. And on top of that, it's delivered 20% CAGR and uh, dividends. So it's not just about the share price return. They've been delivering. Cash to shareholders as well. Yeah. Oh, that's that's compound average, compound average growth rate. Average growth rate. Yeah. yeah, right. So, and that's very impressive, isn't it? Yeah, yeah absolutely, uh, highly impressive. And I mean, you know, we, we've kind of touched on it a little bit there, but I mean, what is it about their the business models? Because you know, it's not just young brands. I mean, obviously, you know that as you point out, it's kind of it's it's a very interesting story. But you know, a lot of these fast food companies have been doing very well, both in terms of the share price performance, but also as you point out, kind of earnings and dividends have have kind of been there to back that up so what is it about their model that is so effective do you think i think as they they great they gain scale i mean they're international businesses so the the market isn't just the us and the other differentiating feature of the most successful brands are that they are franchises primarily so they're able to expand in a very capital light way uh they can do faster with more control and i think that's a real factor in their success is that the most successful of our franchise? I wonder if uh, also um, a factor is 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 their ability to 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 expand um, the brand awareness as well. I mean, I, I, I know um, Burger King in the UK um, is it, is seldom seen. For example, um, the number of restaurants must be tiny compared to some of some of its rivals. Um, so, so expanding geographic footprints must be a, an opportunity for them. And if they do it through this franchise model, that, that is, as you say, a cost-effective way of doing it. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I, I think both from the point of view of a sort of a consumer or, or somebody looking to get all the food or, or go out and eat, it's the consistency, isn't it? I mean, like, you know, I've got young children. <laughs> they don't like things to be different. And so, you know, for McDonald's, they, it's a very consistent, you know what you're going to get. I mean, whatever your kind of view on the quality of the food. And similarly with pizza, you know, it's it's people know what they're getting, don't they? And that's what they want. You know, they want the, that consistency and they, they can deliver that, I suppose. Yeah. I wonder as well, is there is there part of the success, certainly recently, down to the, the cost factor? I mean, have you know, we seen inflation and cost of living go to the roof? Um, I wonder to what extent people are downgrading. Are they going to a pizza yeah. hut? As opposed to Pizza Express, for sure. example. No, that's a that's a good point because you've got that kind of whole casual dining market. You know, the kind of 
Pizza Express or Zizi's or you know that there's you know they're, they're both Italian names but I guess there's ones in other areas as well isn't there but they they are probably a little bit more expensive than you know the the sort of fast food um chains that we're talking about so I guess that that that's probably that is that is a kind of advantage for them they're able to take share there do you think mine yeah I think that's right I mean one of the companies was saying that they they're seeing more customers from the high end in terms of the household income as well as attracting customers from the lower end when times are hard so they they kind of are appeasing both both sets of customers um so I think that that obviously plays into their hands and the scale thing's important too I think you know McDonald's spend over 400 million dollars a year on marketing which is really tough if you're competing against McDonald's to try and get that mindset um so that's another big advantage they have and makes their business model so much more so consistent We'll pick up again with another stock before too long. And if you've got any suggestions that you want to make, please email us at podcast at ajbell.co.uk with suggestions. Thank you very much. Before you go, please remember this podcast is for educational purposes and the views expressed don't necessarily reflect those of AJ Bell or Shares Magazine. The podcast isn't telling you whether certain investments are suitable or not. And don't forget that the value of investments can change and you can lose money as well as make it. It's also important to remember that tax rules apply and that the way an investment performed in the past may not be the same as how it behaves in the future. If you want help, go see a qualified financial advisor.